This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. It's an absolute pleasure to have our next guest joining us because of all of the areas that she can comment on, from political analyst to media critic, I think if if we needed her to code a program for us, probably in the next five minutes, uh, she could do that as well. If anybody needs it, do, do we need to fix an app anywhere? There is something big that has needed fixing for a long, long time, and it deals with attitudes that we have in our country, attitudes that aren't just in our country, they're everywhere. They're around the world. And if it was an easy fix, it would have been done by now. And unfortunately, that's not the case. So one of the best things we can do is have some discussions on things like racism. Because it's not like you can look at one area of our lives and say, that's where the issue exists. That would make it easier to deal with. But it's not like that. It's in law enforcement. It's in education. It is in employment. We have people in our world who face not just challenges, but sometimes barriers when it comes to those areas. And Rachel, it is amazing to have you with us to have this conversation today. How is Friday going for you? It's actually sunny here in Ottawa and warm. I hope it's also warm in London. It is. It's, it's humid here. I, don't, I lived in Ottawa for a long time, so I know that the humidity isn't what it is in southwestern Ontario, and sometimes that humidity gets to you. So is it just a nice, sunny Ottawa day? It's 30, 38 Celsius with the humidity, but I love Ooh. it. Okay, all right, all right, good. Well, you know what? My wife is a huge fan of the humidity, and after years of being with her and going outside in the humidity, i got to say, uh, I've, I've become a bigger fan of it. So we'll okay. enjoy our weather from the space that is in between us but i want to talk to something or about something that hopefully one day will bring everybody on this planet a whole lot closer together than we are when we look mm-hmm. at racism in canada it isn't like we could say okay where do where do we address this first but when you're asked to talk what is it that you want people to know wow that's a tough question because i i could go on on many different um, levels, I would say that racism affects every facet of our lives. You know, you're, you're black from the day you're born until the day you die. You're black when you leave your house. You're black when you go shopping. You're black when you go driving. You're black when uh, you're in distress and you call the police for help and they may not help you because it's think that you're the perpetrator and not the victim. Um, it affects you when you apply for a job. It affects you when you run for office. There's really no uh, facet of Canadian life where race doesn't play a role in some kind of way. As a black woman, how do you deal with that? Um, well, I was born and raised uh, in Ottawa back when it before multiculturalism was uh, embraced, I, depending on how old you are, you might remember the word that we used back then was tolerance. I remember tolerance. It's <laughs> the weakest kind of um, endorsement for diversity. It's just basically just tolerate people that don't look like you, don't accept them, don't embrace them, just try not to 
antagonize them too much. So I've dealt with it my whole life. I remember in kindergarten, uh, some kids wouldn't hold my hand when it, when we did the circle because I was black. Um, you know, there are teachers who decided that one of my essays in high school was too well written um, and that I must have cheated or plagiarized because it's impossible for the only black girl in class to write so well. So this has affected me in many ways. How I deal with it, you know, it hurts. It hurts because we can't do anything about it. I can't change uh, the color of my skin, at least not temporarily, for whatever job interview or, or situation. Um, often we discuss it within our community, within our uh, churches, mosques, at the hair salon. It's it's a discussion where we give ourselves therapy, basically. Um, and personally, I've I've dealt with it by advocating for justice, for equality. At all levels of government, I've written essays and Huffington Post articles and op-eds, and I've marched, um, and I've seen very little change, to be honest, in the past 20 years of advocacy, and it's, it's kind of depressing. And if someone who can write how you can write is having difficulty exacting any change, you know, that's saying something right there, and it's saying something very difficult to realize we're talking with rachel decause who's a motivational speaker political analyst media critic amazing writer please google rachel's name decause d-e-c-o-s-t-e and you can see exactly what we're talking about it it started may have started long before that essay in school but it's continued in a big way and yet rachel you continue to write you continue to advocate what keeps you going I refuse to believe that Canada is the best that it can be. I refuse to give up on Canadians as a whole. I refuse to give up on myself and my community. And I really, I, I, I have to keep on going, especially now that I have a son. I have a black boy I have to raise. And I want to believe that uh, his experience as a Canadian will be better than mine. How would you say his world is different than the world you may have known at the same age can can you point to anything in particular i'm really hoping you can i feel like well you know ottawa in in the 70s and 80s was extremely undiverse um there were no there was nowhere for me to turn in that incident in school there was nowhere for me to go i still to this day have a c average on on that on that grade in in french class because once you are caught quote unquote plagiarizing you fail an assignment your average goes down like to this day that record says that i'm uh, a cheater and so i had nowhere to go i think today there are counselors in schools that are more sensitive to that issue and even if you can't go towards the official channels um kids these days they have social media where they can post um, incidents, videos, and get attention in a way that I had no access to when I was a kid. I just kind of went home, licked my wounds, and accepted my C average uh, on that class. It's it really um, so it's slightly better, but I think what's missing is justice. Um, we can advocate more. We can be more public with the issues. But I'm not sure that we still have justice, and that's the piece that's missing. Do you feel that justice existed in a different way before, or has it still not arrived? I can't say it has arrived. I believe that when incidents of racism happen, 
very rarely is the perpetrator perpetrator punished. Um, whether it's cops that are caught do wrongdoing uh, on tape, um, and then they get a paid vacation or what they call a paid leave. I call it a paid vacation where you get to go to Cuba for a year while you're collecting your sunshine list money. Um, very few of them ever go to prison for that. We saw the Peel Region School Board get caught with their pants down in terms of racism. Nobody gets fired. We just kind of move on. Um, and that's the justice piece that's missing is that if I... Um, if I do something against Jewish people or deny the Holocaust, there's consequences to that that are tangible. But I haven't seen the same for uh, black people in Canada yet. I love that you still hold out the word yet because, you know, that, again, you continue to write, you continue to advocate, and I hope that that continues forever or as long as it takes to get something done. You mentioned the Peel District School Board. I mean, this this was a story that seemed to have legs, and it eventually got a formal apology, and this goes to an incident involving a young student, and it got all the way to the minister, and then all of a sudden, Rachel, I don't know, it seemed to disappear from view. How often do you find that something like that happens, where it seems like something is happening, and then all of a sudden, it disappears? I think that's the norm. Um I think the media generally, not to point fingers at you, but uh, it's an uncomfortable subject. We don't want to talk about it. So if it's out of the media, it's sort of out of the um, the eye of, of, of the public. Uh, I think our politicians are very good at uh, feigning action. You know, there's always a, a tweet that's quoting Martin Luther King and um, a call to, uh, you know, that this, classic line is racism has no place in Ontario or in our city as if that kind of changes anything um, and they're very good at turning the page and then doing what they were doing um, so I think one of the issues is that the people that are most affected by uh, anti-black racism are black people we're a small minority uh, we're three percent of Ottawa I feel it's one percent of all of Canada um, and so we don't hold as much power uh, to change things, political power, financial power, economic power. Um, we're going to need allies um, in the rest of Canada to, to make those scales balance the other way. And until we have a critical mass of Canadians of all walks of life who really want to take this seriously, there's really no incentive to change. Rachel DeCoste with us, political analyst, media critic, motivational speaker. Rachel, it's been great hearing your perspective as difficult a perspective as it is. Oh, no, yeah, please. I was just looking through. London had a death of a black man just a few months ago when uh, he was in distress. He was having mental issues. His name is Caleb Njoko. Uh, his mom called the police and he ended up dead. That was in February. Um, and I think one of the things we need to think about is how do we fund our police? Do we need to send police when, some, when there's a mental health issue? Uh, I noticed that in the budget of the City of London for 2009, there's a London Police Service C 
safeguard program for um, to help when there's these kind of mental health issues. Is the police really the answer for a mental health issue? Should we have mental uh, health professionals intervene so that we don't end up having dead people because the police, with all due respect, they're not the best people to deal with mental health issues? And you raise an excellent point because how many times do you talk with a police officer, a firefighter, a paramedic, and they are dealing with mental health issues night after night after night because the same people are either in distress or putting in calls. And you're right, it just becomes something that, that never gets taken care of until something tragic seems to happen. So that that's an excellent point. Rachel, one final thing. In, in what we're seeing in demonstrations and peaceful protests and other protests, not just in the United States, but now around the world in Canada. How do you feel about what you're seeing? I want to say I feel like it's Groundhog Day. I, I've marched before. I've protested before. Uh, there's been several uh, police violence uh, incidents in my city and across uh, Ontario that have merited a lot of attention. I haven't seen it follow through with action from our elected people. So it's encouraging that people are paying attention. They're getting out of their house and they're marching. I, I'm going to start applauding when I see action, when I see consequences for wrongdoing, when I see police that are caught doing wrongdoing, uh, denounced by their peers, not just by members of the public, and that we can get rid of the bad apples that are ruining the bunch for all of Canadians, not just black Canadians. I think when police um, are given so much trust and responsibility and break that trust, that's detrimental to all of us. And I look forward to the day that not just members of the black community, but members of police who see the wrongdoing, who see the corruption, denounce those bad apples as loudly as I do, because they want to see a force that can be trusted by all Canadians. Rachel, thank you so much for your time. Please stay safe through all of this. Thank you. You too. That's Rachel DeCoste, motivational speaker, political analyst, media critic. Groundhog Day, she described it as. Using essentially lip service to a lot of things. If you are someone who has gone to a social media platform and you have denounced racist behavior or racism, great, fine. But here's what you need to ask yourself. What's my next step? It's one thing to denounce and use your words and lend support with those words. That's great. There is nothing wrong with that. What's my next step? is the next question that should come up. We are going to give you an opportunity to win donuts in just a minute. Boxcar Donuts is going to be giving away donuts on London Live, and you'll have a chance to win them. That's coming up in just a moment. If you're just joining us, we're taking a little reprieve. We've got a lot of serious stuff to talk about today. And we're going to get to all of it. But a little bit of a, hey, it's Friday and the sun is shining. Let's remember that. So we just told the story of Dylan Miskew and his movie experience. Who knows what kind of movie career is coming up. We're going to give away some donuts in the next 10 minutes. We get to, in fact, say hello to Dylan Miskew right now. Dylan, how are, th- are you in Winnipeg right now? I'm in Winnipeg right now. How's it going? 
It's, it's going all right. How are things in Manitoba? You guys are a little bit ahead of Ontario in terms of some reopening. Does anything feel normal, or are you guys still in a new normal as well? Uh, we're still in the, the new normal right now, but uh, it's starting to open up things. Uh, just this past week, uh, we got uh, kind of gyms opening back up and training facilities kind of getting back at it. But uh, it's, we're still in the new normal right now. still feels a little weird uh, not having to get back on the ice right now. It's, I think it's been one of the longest times I've been off the ice, and it's uh, kind of weird that way. But, yeah, it's, things are starting to get better uh, back in Winnipeg right, right now and uh, not too many new cases. So how long has it been, essentially, since the OHL season ended? Or were you on the ice at all after that? No, uh, right. Uh, I was... Last time I was on the ice was right when we heard the news that uh, the season wasn't uh, going to continue. And uh, that last practice we kind of had as a, a team little game, that uh, that was the last time uh, I stepped on the ice. Wow. How much are you missing it? A lot right now. It's uh, def- definitely a struggle getting through it. But uh, I know eventually we'll be back on the ice right away. But uh, definitely missing it a lot. And remember, Dylan is a goalie, so it's his job to stop pucks that people are firing at his head, just underneath his head, things like that, and still missing it. That's definitely a good sign. Well, we did get a big announcement this past week that you and five other players are going to become members of the Western Mustangs. What was it like to make that decision? Yeah, no, it was a, it was a great, uh, I think it was a good decision on my part that, uh, Definitely uh, super excited and uh, glad to be a, a part of the Mustangs organization. All I hear is a great, uh, great organization there and great uh, staff and team. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm extremely ex- excited to be joining them in the fall, and hopefully uh, the season doesn't get too delayed there. We're uh, not too sure when, when the season will start up. But, uh, yeah, making that decision, it, uh, it, I thought it was probably one of the best fits uh, right now for me and uh, just the, one of the best opportunities to keep playing at that high level and uh, take my game uh, take my game to the next level with also getting a little bit of academic, academic side done and hopefully at the end still still be playing a high level of pro hockey somewhere. Dylan Miskew joining us. Finished out his major junior career this year with the London Knights after playing in places like Victoria and Brandon and Edmonton where he went on a long playoff run with the Edmonton Oil Kings and now coming back to London. So you arrived in London, saw it for the first time this past year. Now you're going to make it home for a little while. Did you like what you saw when you got here? Yeah, I loved I loved London. I like coming to the Knights uh, organization the first uh, week I was there kind of thing. It was... Uh, all different uh, kind of emotions running around with uh, getting traded and uh, going to a different team and having to wait a bit. But uh, once I settled down in London, it, uh, it was definitely an amazing opportunity I had there, an amazing experience that I had with them. And, uh, you know, I couldn't ask, for, couldn't ask for a great time with them. They were um, one, of the, one of the great, great teams I played on, great staff, great coaching staff, and it, uh, it definitely felt like I was at home there. And if you look at the idea that you're able to follow along with so many players who play major junior do and go and play U sports after, as far as studies and pursuing academics, anything that you focused in on yet? Uh, I'm going to be doing some criminology and some business classes, kind of uh, going that route and seeing uh, seeing how that goes for the first year. And uh, that's been kind of the interest right now, so... We'll see how it uh, plans out or pans out after this uh, first year. 
Goaltender Dylan Miskew, now of the Western Mustangs, formerly of the London Knights, joining us on London Live. Dylan, one final thing, and that is any drama courses set up? I mean, we told you the story of, of your acting career getting going. I don't know if there's been anything, because making movies is kind of quiet right now, but if, there, if there's been any move or any thought of doing any more of that, what do you think? Grab a drama <laughs> course at some point? Funny thing you said that, because that, that was what, probably one of the first classes I looked when uh, I was looking at universities <laughs> kind of thing. I was like, I just kind of looked at what had the film studies and uh, all that kind of things. But uh, yeah, Western, I did. I was going to pick film studies, but they're they're not doing it this year just because of all the situations that they have. And they can't, uh, they're not doing anything in person right now. But uh, that was one of the first classes I was looking at was uh, the film <laughs> studies stuff. And right when I got back, I kind of sent... Uh, the movie agency here a message saying i'm back in town and would love to do stuff would love love to do more stuff for you guys if it works out hey that's phenomenal well i know that the movie with sean penn is not out yet but hopefully that comes out at some point and dylan stay safe great to know that you're headed back to london and uh enjoy the rest of the summer in winnipeg hopefully somebody can fire a puck at you at some time soon <laughs> i hope so too great talking with you like always Stubby. And uh, we'll be seeing you soon in the lot. Sounds great. Okay, take care. Have a good one. Bye. That's goaltender Dylan Miskew, now of the Western Mustangs, formerly of the London Knights. So, yeah, movie career could go. Film studies programs at Western. That's something that a lot of athletes who play major junior will go on and do. And, and not a lot is made of the fact that you can get tuition and books from your years in major junior hockey. And it helps you to kind of make a transition into the next part of your life, which Dylan Miskew is going to be doing in London, Ontario. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.